the ascent is built around uh, these 15 psalms that we find in the Old Testament, uh, Psalms 120 through 134. Um, and these 15 psalms were sung uh, when the people of Israel uh, would go back to Jerusalem for the different uh, festivals. So three times a year, they would travel from their home cities or countries if they moved away, and they would, move, they would go back to Jerusalem for these times of worship. Uh, one of them was Passover. Uh, they would go back and remember what God did for them and rescued them from slavery from, from Egypt. And so they would travel every year, these three times a year, to, to, to make pilgrimage back. And these are the songs of the pilgrims, the songs of ascent, uh, where they're talking about going back up the mountain. And so we're taking this, this series and this idea of saying, all right, for us, and, and, and here in 2020, you know, uh, in Santa Fe, New Mexico, uh, what does this mean to us? What does this look like? Uh, well, in, in our lives, I know this about each one of us, is we all have um, some great hopes and dreams and aspirations. And all of our dreams, hopes, and aspirations for our lives, whether it be uh, relationally, uh, financially, uh, mentally, physically, all of our hopes are like this, right? Like we're hoping to get better. We're hoping to improve. We're hoping 2020 would be the year that we really see improvement. All of us have these really great hopes, um, but what happens a lot of times is we don't put the right actions or thought process into place. And instead of having, well, we have uphill hopes, but instead of having uphill habits, we actually choose to have downhill habits, which means if our habits are like this, but our hopes are like this, We'll never accomplish those, right? So I guess the question we're asking in this series is this. Is there a gap between you, where you currently are and where you want to be? And whatever area of your life, financially, um, in your marriage, in your parenting, in school, is there a gap from where you are to where you want to be? And if so, what is it going to take to close that gap? And what is it going to take to put some uphill habits in place and some uphill, uh, be able to learn some skills to be able to help take you higher, right? And so uh, we've been talking about that. And here's the thing. If you're going to get to that place of better, you have to leave the place of, of, of not so good, right, where you're at. And so this series, we're saying, what are the skills necessary to close that gap? What are the skills necessary to be able to accomplish more with our lives? Um, you know, for us, church, as followers of Christ, uh, we believe that the journey God calls us to is actually a process of this. We're, we're climbing, right? The faith journey is a, is a process of transitioning from one degree of glory to the next. Uh, this is t- taken from Paul's uh, letter to the, uh, to the Corinthians. And he says, our... our Our call that God is calling us to is that we continue to allow him to work in our lives, that we continue to get better and better and reflect more and more of Christ. So being a a Jesus follower means that we're following his lead, but more than that, we're we're wanting to become like him. So we're uh, on a a daily basis, weekly basis, we're allowing him to work in our lives to become better, right? So we're always getting better. We're always working on that. And for me, my, my heart hope is for all of us this year that we would, that would happen to us in different areas of our life, that we would get better. We'd allow God to help us on this journey. We'd learn some of these skills that we're talking about. Because uh, here's the truth about what it means to follow Christ. Uh, the, the word the Bible uses is disciple. To be a disciple of Jesus is not about acquiring information about God, but it's acquiring the, the skills necessary for that faith journey. And so if you want to become a great Jesus follower, a great Christian, it's not about learning more about the Bible and having all the knowledge and understanding. It's actually about learning the skills necessary. And skills are different than information because information just becomes something you know. A skill is something you actually practice and do. And so being a disciple means you're actually practicing the things that God asks us to, to practice. And so this whole series, we're saying, what are those skills that we're learning? And so we're pulling out a different skill, a different idea, principle from the Psalms to help us on this journey uh, so that we can continue to ascend, right? We continue to climb, continue to get better. And so today, I want to talk about um, one of the aspects before we jump into the Psalms, kind of get our, our mindset correctly, is um, one of the big things that I've, I've, I guess I'm not so much surprised, but as I've been preparing the series, going through the series, I find that 
the majority of what we're talking about actually starts with mindsets, right? What, what we, how we go into situations, how we view life, how we view the world, mindsets. Um, how, and, and one of the things that um, today that is, is not the main idea, but one of the things I want to start off with is talking about our attitude. Our approach to life, our approach to, um, to work, to family, to church, right? Our attitude. Uh, let me give you a, a really good definition I found um, that says this. An attitude is a settled way of thinking or feeling about someone or something, typically one that is reflected in a person's behavior. So an attitude is a settled way that we think about something, right? We go to work with a specific attitude. Uh, that could be, and, and there's other definitions to attitude. So attitudes also talk about, a, it, it really the idea is a position, right? They use it for, for planes. So what, the attitude of a plane, uh, if, if the nose is up, it's a you know, positive attitude, it's down, it's a negative. And so the, the, the attitude, what is attitude? Is it up or down? Um, in, in life, in, in dancing, right? The, the posture of the dancer is about attitude, the, the positioning of themselves. So it applies to a, a plane, it can apply to a body, but it also can apply to a mind or our emotions. So in life, what does your attitude look like? What, what, what posture, what position are you in? Um, is your attitude a positive attitude or is it a negative attitude? Because we all have a different attitude when it comes to different parts of life. We, we go in with a, a mindset of saying, this is how I view life. It's either positive or it's either negative, right? What, where are we at? Where are we going? Um, and then we begin to react out of that preset position towards things. So you go to work, if you have a, an attitude towards it, you're going to operate and in, in, um, continue through the day either in a, in a positive direction or a negative direction. And so I, I read about, when it comes to attitude in planes, um, I read about this interesting exercise that, that some pilots will go through uh, towards like, uh, the later part of their training. Um, and what happens is, is the, the student will get the plane off the ground and go up with the instructor, and they're flying. Well, once they're, they're up high enough at cruising altitude, uh, the instructor, instructor will put a, um, a bag uh, that, that over their head, a woven sack over the, the, the student's head so they can't see. Okay? And then the, the instructor takes the controls and begins to just, just make the plane go crazy, right? Loop loops and up and down and spins. And, and essentially, he's getting the student dis. Di, um, I say this word, uh, discombobulated. I say it right? All right, that's a tongue twister. Discombobulated. So the student is like, has no idea what's up or down. And then the instructor will put the, the, the plane in a suicide dive, right? Which is essentially just going towards the ground. And then he'll take the bag off of, off of the student and allow the student to take control of the plane. The student's job is to get the plane back under control, right? So uh, the attitude of the plane is diving, I think in life sometimes, when I, when I read this story and I was thinking about attitude and, and our approach to life, is I think sometimes life has that, um, it does that to us. It gets us a little discombobulated, right? Uh, the different things that come our way, the challenges, the sickness, the, the work, the conflict, the, the news, right? If you watch the news and if you watch it a lot, you're like, oh my goodness, we are, it's crazy, right? So we live in an amazing time, but we also live in a crazy time. And depending on what you're watching, uh, your, your world can be, get very discombobulated very quickly. And, but we, this happens. And what I love about Sundays is Sundays is kind of like a way that we're saying, hey, let's, let's, let's talk about what's really important, right? And the job of that student is to get hit the attitude of the plane back under control. I think in our life, our job is to get the attitude of our lives back in control, and not just from diving down but, and just, just cruising, but actually saying, all right, let's climb. Let's get better. Let's do something more. And so this, actually this, um, this exercise is actually called recovering from an unusual attitude. Isn't that funny? It's like, I'm going to take you an exercise, and it's going to be recovering from an unusual attitude. Yeah, that's very unusual because you're going to die if you don't change, right? And sometimes people's lives are like that. If we don't change, we actually are heading to something that's not really good. So we're going to jump into the fifth psalm of the series. 
uh, Psalms 124, um, and we're going to read through it, and then I'm going to, we'll just read straight through it, and then we're going to break it down and read some different parts of it and pull out some ideas that I saw that in that, and then we'll talk about the main skill or idea that we want to talk about today, all right? So Psalms 124 says this in the message uh, paraphrase. If God hadn't been for us, and then the worship leader, the psalmist, said, wait, wait, you guys aren't with me, right? He says, if God hadn't been for us, all together now, Israel sing out, if God hadn't been for us, when everyone went against us. So you can hear the, the psalmist is essentially writing a song where it's a community of people that are singing together. Uh, they're remembering something. Uh, they're they're, they're uh, preparing for something. And uh, they're, they're um, reflecting on things, right? And so the psalmist is saying, if God hadn't been for us, all right, everybody together, let's sing this out. If God hadn't been for us, when everyone went against us, notice what happened. We would have been swallowed alive by their violent anger, swept away by the flood of rage, drowned in the torrent. We would have lost our lives in the wild, in, in the wild raging water. Oh, blessed be God. He didn't go off and leave us. He didn't abandon us, abandon us defenseless, helpless as a rabbit and a pack of snarling dogs. We've flown free from their fangs, free from their traps, free as a bird. Their grip is broken. We're free as a bird in flight. God's strong name is our help, the same God who made heaven and earth. The psalmist is saying, all right, guys, we're going to sing this song as we travel back and remember. And uh, this is part of what we do on Sundays, right? We start our service off with, with declaring that God is God and we're not. Why? Because we're trying to get back in, in a rhythm. We're trying to say, let's remember, let's reflect, let's pause. Let's let the craziness of the week begin to fade away a little bit so we can allow God to speak to us so that next week can be better. I love what uh, Eugene Peterson says about the Psalms. He says this about the Psalms. He says, there's no literature in all the world. That is more true to life and more honest than the Psalms. For here we have warts in all religion. Every skeptical thought, every disappointing venture, every pain, every despair that we can face is lived through and integrated into a personal, saving relationship with God. A relationship that also has in his acts of praise, blessing, peace, security, trust, and love. And he goes on and says, good poetry, it survives not when it's pretty or beautiful or nice, but when it's true, when it's accurate and honest. The Psalms are great poetry and have lasted, not because they appeal to our fantasies and our wishes, but because they are confirmed in the intensities of honest and hazardous living. So one of the things hopefully you've seen as we've been going through the, the Songs of Ascent and even the Psalms is uh, one, of the, one of the realities that we find there is life is not perfect for people, right? Religion sometimes creeps into our lives that, that tells us this lie that everything has to be perfect. And if things aren't perfect and things aren't going well, then God must not love you. He doesn't care for you. Uh, you, you, you've disappointed him some way, so now you're suffering with the consequences. That is not what the Bible says at all. The Bible is very clear that we have negative results in our world because of the choices that people have made um, that, are, that are contrary to what God says. It's the consequences and the results of sin, our own sin and the sins of others. And sometimes the choices others make, they do flow into our lives and they impact us also because what we do impacts others. And so in, in scriptures, it never says life will be perfect. You follow God, life can be perfect. In many cases, it's almost the reverse in some ways that now that you're following God, you actually have an enemy who wants to destroy you, wants to take you out. And in the middle of this, the psalmists are saying, hey, guys, in the middle of life, when it gets crazy and you're discombobulated, you know what's up or down, you don't know what's going on. Just remember, God has something good for you. It's not bad. And, and it's almost like the sense of, of, of the, the psalmist are saying, remember when? Remember when that thing took place? And when they go to, to Jerusalem and they're celebrating Passover, they're saying, remember when we were slaves in Egypt and now we're no longer slaves? Remember when we thought we were trapped, but now we're free, like a bird in the air flying? We're no longer uh, bound uh, and ruled by others, but we're free? Remember when God showed up? And they're having this idea of we need to remember. In fact, a lot of the Old Testament, uh, the, the instructions God gave Moses to people was to remember things, right? 
to put reminders around the house, to put reminders on the, on the fence post and on the doorpost. And, and uh, when they'd walk around, the things they would wear would be reminders of what God has done so that we don't forget. Uh, God gives us a rhythm in the beginning of the Bible. He says, work six days, uh, pause one day. See, God knew that we were going to need reminders. He, was, he knew we were going to need a rhythm in our lives so that we would, wouldn't just keep going and going and going, right? So let's look at the Psalm 124. Let's start from the beginning. If God hadn't been for us, all together now, Israel, sing out. We, we can say it like this. If God hadn't been for us, all together, the grove, let's sing out, right? If God hadn't been for us, when everyone went against us, we would have been swallowed alive by the violent anger, swept by the flood of rage, drowned in the torrent. We would have lost our lives in the wild, raging waters. So the first thing I'll pull out is, is the psalmist says this. If God hadn't been there for us, this we have to understand about God is he is for you. God has good plans for your life. He wants you to succeed. He doesn't want you to fail. Uh, but he gives us the free will to choose what we want. Follow his ways, do our own thing. And when we do our own thing, he told Adam and Eve, you do your own thing, you won't like the results. It's not going to work out the way you, you, you think it's going to. But if you'll trust me, if you'll follow me, let me help you. And uh, in this scripture, what we find is, is they find themselves in difficult situations and circumstances that are difficult. And they say, if God hadn't been for us, I don't know if we'd ever made it through that. And the fact that we have made it through that shows that God was with us in despite what we faced and what we went through. Um, in 2013, there was a study. Uh, they, did, they, they got these two groups, and they showed them two different videos. Uh, the first video was a video about de- depicting how stress was, de- was debilitating to our performance. So stress was bad for us. And this first group that watched that video, the video talked about how stress causes some negative things in our lives, right? Um, and, and they let them see that. And the second group, they showed another video. And uh, the, the second group, they showed how the benefits that how stress can enhance our performance. And then they had them do some tests. And they discovered that the first group that saw the negative, uh, when it came to the test, they performed poorly. And the second group that, that learned that stress could be uh, helpful for us, actually, um, they performed better. And, and this is what they found in the, sto- in the study, right? That, um, that when, 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 when we see stress as something that enhances, we actually go towards that with a positive attitude, with a positive um, uh, approach, right? And we see something as, as difficult as a negative, stress is negative, we actually go with a negative approach. And the outcomes are drastically different different and notice that it's it's not the circumstance that we find ourselves in it's the approach to that circumstance so in life when it comes to stress uh, this is what dr karen leaf said she said worrying about stress uh, actually puts your body in a toxic stress which will impact your mental and physical health if you're constantly stressed about stress stress will become an obstacle to your path to success changing your attitude towards stress is therefore essential to a healthy mental and physical self-care regimen and she goes on and says often there is so much emphasis on what is bad for us and what can go wrong that we forget to focus on what is good for us and what can go right. And in the this, this, this study, she said, you know, it's, it's kind of like if you read about how sleep, not sleeping enough is bad for your health, right? But then at night you worry about not sleeping because now you think you're getting sick. It's like worrying about not sleeping is actually making you not sleep. Right? And that, her point in that is saying until we change our approach to life, right, is it going to be a positive attitude or is it going to be a negative attitude? Are we going towards things that are difficult as something that's good or something that's bad? And a lot of people avoid confrontation. A lot of people avoid um, doing difficult things because they think of stress as bad. And so they avoid it thinking it's going to be bad, and actually they don't ever improve their life. They don't ever accomplish things because they, they avoid it and they stay away from it. Or when they do go to it, they have a negative reaction, a negative physical reaction. They get sick, all that things, because their approach is I'm already going in knowing that this is going to be difficult. So if you go into a difficult situation, with, this, is what, this is what the science tells us. If you go into a difficult situation with a positive attitude, the blood 
vessels around our heart actually dilate, which means it gives more blood, uh, begins to flow f- more freely through our body, right, which increases uh, oxygen to our brain. And everybody knows that's a good thing, right? You get more oxygen to the brain, that means you're thinking more clearly, you're thinking better, right? So you get more clarity of thought, um, as, as opposed to if you have, a, I guess, the half-empty glass approach, right? Your glass is half-empty, uh, negative approach. Uh, the opposite happens. <laughs> it restricts the blood, and you don't have clarity of thought. So when you go into a difficult situation and you're already thinking it's going to be bad, what's happening is your mind is actually already starting to close down to the potential, as opposed to is if you go into a situation thinking, all right, this is going to be, there's going to be something here. It's really about a mindset of saying I have to go and understanding that whatever comes my way, whatever I face, it's going to be good. I'm going to trust God. He's going to work through, through these things. It goes on and says, oh, bless, bless be God. He didn't go off and leave us alone. He didn't abound us, abandon us or leave us defenseless, right? Helpless as a rabbit in a pack of snarling dogs. You get the picture there, right? We're not, we're not there. We've flown free from their fangs, free from the traps, free as a bird. Their grip is broken. We're free as a bird in flight. God's strong name is our help. God is our help. Uh, the same God who made heaven and earth. Uh, so this psalm is about hazard, but it's also about help. It's, it's, it's uh, an indication that when we go through difficulties, hey, it's not the end of the world. We're going to make it through. God will take care of us. Let's trust him in the middle of whatever we find ourselves. Um, trust and seek his help. He'll be there to help us. Um, one of the things when I think of God as our help, you know, one of the, the major names in the Old Testament for God is Jehovah Shammah. And what that name is about represents an attribute of God, of God being present, right? That God is there. So Ezekiel talks about how God, in, in the city of God, God's going to be there in that city. Uh, but it's used also, again, as, as in, in, in uh, this psalm, the psalm, the psalm I'm going to show you in a second, that God is an ever-present time, uh, present help in time of need. So Psalms 46, re, watch, listen to the psalmist. He talks about God. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. When you're going through something difficult, God is there. That's what this, the, the name of God means. That Jehovah Shammah is God is there. He's here. He's present. He's a God that's present. Not that disconnected, not that's outside of our world that doesn't care about us, but a God that is there in the middle of whatever we face. Notice what he says. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with, with its surging, God is there. God is an ever-present help in time of need. The Psalms remind us of this, that God is there. He's, he's, he's on this journey with us. He wants to help us. He's an ever-present help in time of need. When you face something difficult, God's there, and he wants to help you. And when we understand that, I believe we'll begin to approach things a little better, a little differently, because we're saying, this, is gonna, this outcome is going to be good because God is for me. Notice what Paul. Paul had one of the best attitudes that you could ever find in, in scriptures. Uh, Paul's in prison, and he's writing his happiest letters in prison, right? And Paul's on this journey of uh, taking the, the good news everywhere in the world. And he's facing a lot of difficulties. People wanting to kill him. People are wanting to stop him from, from uh, proclaiming the, the gospel. And so in the middle of all those tests and challenges and difficulties, uh, where he's gotten beaten a few times to the point of dying, um, and, and he's, in the middle of that, he's still saying, my life, man, it, it's only worth it if I continue to move forward and let people know that God loves him and God cares for him. And notice in Romans 8 what he says, Romans 8, 28. If you ever get in one of those seasons where you're thinking like, man, I don't know if God loves me, life is hard. Go read Paul's letter, to, especially this one, chapter 8. You'll begin to get some, some perspective. He says this, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. God works together, um, causes everything to work. That's good and bad, right? That's the sun, that's the rain, that's the snow. Whatever comes our way, God causes everything to work for the good of those who love him. So if, you're, um, if you love God, you're, you're called according to his purpose, you're following him, then he's going to allow all those things 
Even the bad choices we've made, even he'll work those things out to something good. A lot of times, to help others not to make those same choices usually. But he uses even, our, even the, the mistakes we made. And he goes on, and, and we'll skip a couple verses. He says in, in 31, what shall I say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is what? For us. If God is for us. If God is for us. It's the psalmist, right? If God wasn't for us, God is for us. God is for you. What you think about God may be the most important thought when it comes to your direction of life. So if you think God is a good God who has good plans for your life, you'll begin to approach it like life like this, even through difficulties. But if you think God is a disconnected God who doesn't care or a bad God, doesn't, you'll approach things like this. Because our, our thoughts about things, especially people, especially God, di- dictate and determine the outcomes and, and, and the approach that we have to life. And Paul is saying, hey, don't forget, God is for us. Notice what he says in 35. He says, uh, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? It sounds like the psalmist, right? These psalms that are writing like, even when we go through difficulties, God is still there with us. Even when we go through the challenges. Why? Because he's saying a mindset has, can't be focused on what's not working or the difficulty. It has to be focused on the one who can help us despite the difficulty. What are we going to look to? Who is our focus going to be? So is it going to end good? Paul's saying, guys, it's going to end well. In fact, 8.38, he says, and I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. He's convinced. So Paul had it in his, in his heart, in his mind. He was convinced that nothing that anybody can do to him was going to take away God's love from him. Nothing that could happen in this life would ever be able to separate him from God's love. He was so convinced that he was willing to give his life for what he believed, for what God told him to, right? Neither death nor life nor angel or demons, neither our fears for today or worries about tomorrow, nor even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. He was saying God is for us, and it's going to end well. It's going to end well. Why? Because God is for us. So whatever we face, God will use that as something good if we'll trust him and not get the focus on the wrong thing. When we have stress in our life, when we have something difficult, we don't go into it thinking this is going to be bad. We go into it thinking, how is God going to turn this around? I'm so expectant to see him, so excited to see what God's going to do with this situation. And, and I think of some of the stories in our church of how God has um, done, done some amazing things in the lives of people that used to be addicts. They used to be alcoholics and, and uh, used to struggle with different things in life. Now, God has brought them so far. This psalm that we're reading about, it's kind of like you're on this ascent, right, and you're climbing. It's like, hey, guys, let's take a break right now. Let's just look back. Wow, look how far we've come. You ever been on a hike, and, and as you're climbing up, it's, you're, you're, you're working up hard to go up there, and um, you get tired, and you have to take a break, and you sit down on a rock. Maybe you turn around, and you look down, and you're like, wow, we've come a long way. I think too few of us turn around, uh, not often enough, turn around to look to see how far we've come, you know, to, to get our bearings and look around at what's taking place of where we're at. I think uh, because of that, a lot of times all we do is we just keep going straight, work, 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 work. And one of the reasons God gives us rhythm and God invites us to remember is because he says if you don't, you're going to have this tendency that you're going to work, 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 work yourself to death. And you're going to work, work, work and miss out on the most important things in life. But if you'll get a rhythm, if you'll get a pattern in your life where you pause, Work six days, man, rest one day and reflect. And Sabbath is really about, the Sabbath day is really about us staying healthy, us remembering that God is God, that our value doesn't come from how much money we make. Our value doesn't come from how hard we work during the week, right? Our value comes from the fact that he created us, that we're human, we're unique. Our value comes from the fact that he, he, he is for us. And that's the rhythm God invites us into. Now, I encourage you, when, when you, when they come to scriptures, uh, God is saying, get, get a good rhythm, Right? Um, so today, this is the skill I want to talk about, all right? Taking time to think, uh, taking time to think. 
Some would say, um, you know, one of, one of uh, maybe remembering, reflecting, pausing, uh, being still. In fact, that psalm we read about um, God being an ever-present help in time of need. If you keep reading that whole psalm, that's a great one. If you're ever going through something difficult and you want to be encouraged, read it. Towards the end of it, it says just be still, like chill out and know that God is in control. Be still and know that God is God. That's the psalm that, that you find at Psalm 46. He's saying, hey, just pause. Stop. Don't let the, the circumstances overwhelm you and cause you to become unhealthy or cause you to stress out or cause you to go to something that's destructive, right? Pause. Um, to, to take time to think, reflect. It's about stopping. It's about Sabbath. It's about being still. It's about breathing, right? That's what Sabbath is. That's what the break is. You work, you work, you work six days, and you take one day to say, God, you're God, and I'm not. And my work, it'll take get care of this next six days. And things will work out. And today I'm going to enjoy. Today I'm going to reflect. And so today, I, I would say that when I think of this psalm, the skill that we need to get better at, and, the, and in fact, this is the skill that my, my 2020 is the one that I want to work on the most, is I want to take time to reflect. I want to take time to think, right? John Maxwell says like this, our lives today are a result of our thinking yesterday, and our lives tomorrow will be determined by what we think today. Our lives are determined by what we think. We need to improve um, our way of thinking if we're going to improve our lives. If you want to improve your marriage, you have to improve the way you think about your marriage. The attitude of your, of your approach has to become different. It can't be negative. It has to be positive. Uh, you go into uh, a, a disagreement like this, and you can't expect anything good to come from it. If you go into a disagreement like this saying, all right, even though we disagree, I know on the other side of this we're going to find some common ground, right? Let me read. Um, when it comes to reflecting, when it comes to thinking about life, um, we, let me read what the Proverbs says. Proverbs 14.8 says this. Solomon says, The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the fool, folly of, the, of fools is deception. The wise person gives thought to the path they're on, but the folly of the fools, they deceive themselves even while they go the wrong direction. The deception is the fool is actually not thinking about the direction their life is heading, but rather saying, I'm going to make excuses. I'm going to blame others. I'm going to figure out whatever it takes to continue doing what I want to do because I want to do it, even though it's going in a bad direction. Where the wise person is saying he's thinking about what he's doing. He's thinking about the direction of his life, right? He's saying give, give thought to, to your ways. Don't keep lying to yourself, but give thought. Fools don't ask for help. Fools don't reflect. They don't take time to think about what they're doing. They just keep making excuses, and they, they work really hard to justify what they're doing to convince others, right, or blame or whatever. But, but they do that all the way to nowhere, and they do that all the way to destruction, never changing their mind. Full, foolish persons never change their mind, just keep doing what they want to do. Um, even when we think of life, if you think of your past or even last year, if there's things that took place that you, you regret or, you, you know, you, the question you ask, and what was really funny is that we ask it intuitively, right? When we do something wrong, we think, we say this, what was I thinking, which is the right question to, do, to ask. What was I thinking? Um, you guys ever seen the movie Tommy Boy where, where he backs up with the gas, gas thing and the door bends? So years ago, I was driving my car, and I had to back up to get some – I was loading something up. And um, I, I thought it would be really quick to just back up and reverse looking out the door, right? I failed to see the chain link fence that was next to the car. And so when I go back, my door bends back, right? And in that moment, it's like, oh, what was I thinking, Right? Um, you ever have one of those moments? It's kind of like that. What was I thinking? So the foolish person, uh, he doesn't stop long enough to answer the question. He just goes on to the next thing or makes an excuse for whatever it was. 
it wasn't my fault. Who put the chain link? Whose bright idea was to put the chain link fence there, right? Man, then you go off and go sue the guy for putting a chain link fence there, right? That's the foolish person. A wise person says, all right, what was I thinking? Well, one, I wasn't thinking because I was in a rush. The truth was I was in a rush. I was trying to get somewhere really fast, and I only had a couple minutes to do this. And so I was trying to go really quick, and my, the speed of what I was doing wasn't allowing my, bl- my brain to think correctly, right? So the stress wasn't a good stress. It was, I was thinking of it as, man, I'm, I'm late. i got to rush. i got to do this. Go on the next thing, and it caused more t- long time and wasted all my time. It ruined my whole day, right? And so what was I thinking? Um, so when we, when we ask that, right, it's um, even our decisions a lot of times don't make sense to us. But the problem is we don't pause long enough to really think, what was I thinking? We don't take time to think about why it didn't work. And here's where we fail, is we just move on to the next thing. So 2019, what didn't work? What did work? What were you thinking? Right? I, I think a lot of times because what happens when we're in these, these, these moments, we think of it as an event. Right? It's a confrontation, it's an argument, it's an event, it's a single isolated thing where a wise person sees it as a journey. How you respond to this one difficulty is actually going to impact the next one and the one to come. But a foolish person doesn't see the connection. They think of just, this is in my way. It's a single event. I'm going to go for what's good right now. I'm going to go for what's easy. I'm going to get my way. And they don't realize that they're actually on a journey. And every decision they make is either taking them somewhere better or somewhere worse. They're getting off course or they're going the direction God wants. So we need to, we need to ask the right question, right? What was I thinking? And then stop long enough to answer it before we move on to the next decision so wise people they ask does the path i'm walking lead to a place i want to go when it comes to your marriage when it comes to finances when it comes to school is the path you're leading when it comes to your homework when it comes to how you spend money is it leading to a a direction that you really want to go and be honest to really say man the way i'm spending money is it leading me where i want to be in the future and if not you need to change something right um if i keep heading this way will i like where i arrive in your relationships, in your workplace, if I keep going this direction, a foolish person doesn't ask those questions. They just look for the next thing, the next fight, the next whatever difficulty, or the next pleasure, right? But the wise person is saying, hey, let me reflect. So it's Sunday. I'm about to go back to work on Monday, and you know, what did I learn from last week, and what did I not do well so that I can have a better week? How can I improve? Is the direction that I approached my coworkers, was that a good direction? That, that, my attitude with them, was that a good attitude? Are we going in a good direction with that? Because right? you've, you've heard experience is the best teacher, right? Which is false. Experience is not the best teacher. Evaluated experience is the best teacher. We have a lot of people who should be really smart because they have a lot of experiences who are really dumb because they never evaluated why life didn't work for them in the first place. Evaluated experience is the best teacher because they're saying, why did it work? Why did it not work? How can I learn from this? What can I do from this? I think that's why Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, that we demolish every argument, right, that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And he says, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. What is he saying? If we're not careful, our thought life can lead us away. If we're not careful, the desires of our life and the thoughts that we think will actually take us in a negative direction, not a positive direction. But if we'll begin to pause and stop and say, all right, got that thought that I've been thinking, and I'm going to take that, and what do you say about that thought? Last week, it didn't really work all that well, so maybe I shouldn't do it this week. So what's the better thought? Give me a better thought. And really, scripture's about, a lot of scripture is saying, we need to transform the way we think. We need to allow God to work in our lives. In fact, the, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit, so Jesus tells his disciples, I'm going to send you a helper. And one of his major roles is to remind us about the things that we already know. To remind us about the things that God has told us. To remind us. 
His, one of his jobs is to remind us. If we'll pause enough to say, what was I thinking? And say, God, what was I thinking? He'll say, well, you weren't thinking, or you were thinking with the wrong thing. It was about desire. It was about pleasure. It was about the wrong motive, right? He's saying, just pause long enough. Take every captive and make it obedient to God. Because here's the truth. God is more interested in changing our thinking than changing our circumstances. We all pray and say, God, get me out of this circumstance. And God is saying, no, no. I want, to get, I want you to get something out of this circumstance. Because a lot of times, sometimes it's our fault that we're in that circumstance. We're just saying, God, rescue me, right? But here's the truth. If we don't change our thinking, we'll never change our lives. So when we find ourselves in that situation and God rescues us because we, that's the, the genie God that we want, right? The, uh, we just say, God, give me everything I need. Well, he's going to rescue us from that situation until we find ourselves in the next one because we did the exact same thing because the same thought process is going to lead us to the same outcome. And then we're in the next one saying, hey, God, count me again. And then he helps us again. And before you know it, we're just spoiled kids who just get our way and just do what we want to do, but never improving anything. So a lot of times God is saying, no, no, it's not about getting out of the situation. It's about you changing the way you think about the situation. It's asking the what if question, right? Remember when? It's, it's uh, now what if I thought differently? Last week I told a story about psychologists in the late 1800s, right, who contemplated suicide. And he said, well, what if I changed the way I was thinking about something and just did an experiment? And his life was radically different because his attitude and approach was different, right? Something t- t- took place. It's, it's that question, what if? Uh, you know, we're, small groups are going to start up pretty soon. And uh, I, uh, one of the small groups I lead almost every semester is a leadership group. And in our discussion, we go through a chapter, we talk about what we learn. Usually the, the last question of the whole group is usually based around this idea of what did you learn and what are you going to do with this now, right? What, what, um, what, were, the, what were the takeaways and what, what's going to be different in your life because of this? Um, it's a reflection question, right, to help us to say, all right, you, you learn information, but if you don't now evaluate and, and, and stop to think, you might not apply it. And for me, every chapter that I took time to reflect and begin to write out a plan of how I can apply that has had an impact in my life. All the other chapters, good information. I know some good stories and new things, but it hasn't had the impact on my life like it, like it should have. Why? Because I didn't take time, enough time to think about what I really learned and ask the questions, right? So uh, there's a, there's a, a story about a, a, a traveler who loses his way in the forest, right? And after a while, it becomes dark and um, becomes a little afraid, right? And uh, he, he begins to realize that there could be danger looking around any any tree. It's dark. He's alone. And, and before he knows it, all of a sudden, the, the, the silence is just shattered with, with the crash of lightning and thunder, and the forest begins to be illuminated. And in the story... The guy asks, is this, this, this traveler a wise traveler or is he a foolish traveler? And the answer is, well, what does he focus on? See, the fool looks at the lightning and the situation and says, man, this is horrible. But the wise person, he looks at the road which lies illuminated before him because of the lightning. Maybe sometimes in our circumstances and difficulties, as we're going through it, maybe those things are actually illuminating some paths for us to take. Sometimes it's like, get out of there because it's not a good situation. Other times it's like, hey, learn from this so you can go in a better direction. Learn from the other person that didn't do this so you can, you can move forward, right? So for us, are you the wise person or are you the foolish person? Well, your approach to that, that difficulty will tell you. Am I going into this thinking, this is going to be difficult, but it's going to be a good outcome? Or am I going into this trying to avoid it and saying stress is going to kill me, right? It's up to us. What do we focus on? Do you just focus on the negative or do you focus on the positive? Eugene Peterson ends uh, one of his commentaries on talking about Psalms 124. He says, it is, it is Christ, not culture, that defines our lives. It is the help we experience, not the hazards we risk, that shape our days.
we're going to risk hazard. Life is life. People make dumb decisions, and we, the, the, we, we have the, the aftermath and the fallout because of those dumb decisions. It's going to take place. We see in history, it happens over and over and over. And that's not indication that God is not God, he's not good. That's actually an indication of how bad sin is and what he told us not to do because he knew the consequences would be like that. And in the middle of it, we say, God, in the middle of this, would you help us to learn? Would you help us to overcome? And his answer is, yes, I want to help you in this. I want to help you move through this. I want you to learn. It's not the hazards that we are, um, don't face. It's, it's the help that we get in the middle of that. And for us, if we're going to be wise, we need to be the kind of people that say, I'm going to pause. I'm going to reflect. So let me, let me just tell you about this, this prayer of examine. I read about this prayer examine. It's a, a part of what many Christians will do when it comes to the Sabbath day. They'll take time in, in their day off to, um, to really reflect, right? And essentially ask this, this, these two questions. And you're asking God to help you also with it. You're saying, where did I feel most alive, most hopeful, right, most in the presence of God? And where, where did I feel most dead, most despairing, furthest from God? Essentially, what filled me and fulfilled me and what left me forsaken? Uh, the simple way I wrote up here is this. When were you most alive? What were you doing then? What were you thinking? What were you saying? What were you seeing? So if it was a, a daily reflection, you go to bed tonight and you think of the day and you, th- you think, man, where was I most alive? What was I doing in that moment? And I was watching the 49ers beat the, what are they playing? I felt I was most alive, the Packers. I was watching, right? Like you reflect and you think, that was so good. Why was it good? I bet it was kind of good because they were winning, but I bet it was better because there's people around you cheering, high-fiving you, Right? And if we reflect, we really begin to see the truth about why we really like things. And when was, when was I most empty? What was going on in that moment? I think if we'd ask those two questions as a reflection on a daily basis, we can begin to change our mindset. Because some people go to things that are negative, and they don't even know why they're going to that thing that's negative. And if, if we would stop and say, all right, when was I most empty? It was when I went to that thing. Why did I go to that thing? Because I think it fills something in my life. And then we say, but does it really? No, it doesn't. Then why do I keep going back to it? Because it's easy, because it's the quick fix. And we allow God to say, God, what is the truth here? And he begins to help us to see that the easy quick fix is actually not the journey he's calling us to. It's the foolish way, not the wise way. And he invites us in and says, let me lead you. So here's my challenge for this week, all right? Would you make taking time to think a priority? Would you make taking time to reflect? Would you make taking time to remember what God has done? Would you look back this week and think about last week and think what, how God brought you? Would you look back over your life and think about how God freed you? I think about the journey my parents went on and how God rescued my family from some really bad addictions. And the fact that I don't have to struggle with some of those because of their choices that they made to break that in my life and in my family's life. I remember that. It wasn't because of willpower. It was because of the power of God saying, I have something better for you. You have to change the way you think. I reflect and I think about that. I reflect and think how God led us, leads us on these journeys. And in the middle of debt, in the middle of crisis, in the middle of what, everything we thought we wouldn't get out of, God shows up and he says, we can get through this too. It might take a little time, but we're going to get through it. And I look back and I think, man, God was faithful. He was right. He was true. And he leads me on it. When was I most alive? When was I most daily, most empty? So taking time to think, this could be a daily thing. This could be a weekly thing. If you're a couple, I would encourage you, man, learn to have conversation about the week, what's going on this week, right? Let's reflect last week. Let's, let's talk about this week when it comes to parenting, when it comes to our finances. This could be a monthly reflection. Or at the end of your month or the beginning of the month, whatever's better, the last day or the first day of the month, you reflect on the previous month and ask the questions about, hey, when we feel most alive this month, 
When were we most empty? How do we do financially this month, and what can we change this month to get better? Hey, for, for our relationship, what's going right, what's not working? And you have these conversations to reflect on what's working and what's not working. I guarantee if you do that in a, in a, in a continue, in a consistent basis, you'll begin to see improvement. It's like going to the gym, right? We know that a little bit of stress on our muscles actually makes us stronger. We don't fear that. Well, some of us fear it. We hide from it. But most of us understand, hey, this is good for us, right? A little stress, a little conversation, they're not going to go bad. They're not going to hurt us. And then yearly. Have you guys reflected on 2019 yet? If not, why? What did you learn from it? What can you change in 2020 to get better than 2019? Because if you don't take time to think, you're not being a wise person. You're being a foolish person. And I'm in that. I'm with you. Like, I've taken time to say, God, what in 2019 did I do well? What did I not do well? And how can I get better? And a wise person changes their course, and they realize they're off course. They change their course, and they realize that their attitude is wrong, and they, they invite God. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end this service off as uh, my challenge, you know, make, make, take time to think of priority good. It's a good thing. But for some of us in this room, uh, your starting point is not just reflecting and thinking about thinking. That's a good point. Your starting point is saying, God, I need your help. God, I'm off course. God, I'm far away. God, I've been the foolish person, and I want to come around. I want to be able to, to follow your lead. So for some of, us this, some of us in this room, our starting point is saying, God, I need your help. And I'll give an opportunity for those in this room. Notice what Peter says about following God, about putting our faith in Christ. He says, through Christ, you have come to trust in God. And you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. Peter's saying, let's reflect a little bit about why we follow God in the first place and what he's done by conquering death and the grave. And because of that victory, we have victory. Some of us in this room, we need to put our faith in God, and we need to understand that because of his victory, we have victory. Do me a favor, close your eyes and bow your head today as we end our service. If you're here today and you would say, that's me, I have not taken time to think, and I'm off course, but today I want God's help. The Bible says that if we will repent, we'll stop going the direction we're going, that's not good, and we'll turn to God and go his direction, he'll begin to lead us on this journey. Being a Jesus follower means that we follow his lead. And today, some of you need to change your direction, change your thought. And your starting point is saying, God, forgive me. God, help me. And the Bible says that when we humble ourselves, God always responds with help. So today, if you're here, I'm not calling you to the front, but just lead you in a prayer right there in your seat, a prayer of relationship with God, a prayer of saying, God, I need your help. I want your help. Would you forgive me? If that's you today, would you do me a favor and lift your hand right where you're at in your seat? Awesome. see a couple hands. Awesome. Anybody else? All right, for you to raise your hands, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. The best starting point is saying, being honest, saying, God, I can't do it without you. If you raise your hand, pray this prayer with me. If you're a Jesus follower, would you pray with us so that those that raise their hand are not praying alone? Say this today. Say, Father God, today I need your help. Please help me. Forgive me of my choices of my mistakes, of my sin that have led me away from you. Today, I say yes to you. Help me. Redirect me. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die on that cross so I can have new life, so I can have a new start. I believe you're here today and that you're for me. I put my trust in you. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, church, let's celebrate those that raised their, their hand and prayed that prayer.